The word of God this morning comes from 2 Kings chapter 5. Sorry, turn it on. One, two, three. Yeah. Okay. Now, Second Kings chapter five. It's found on uh, page three eighty-seven on the Bible that says Crescent Christian Reformed Church. We'll be reading from verses one through nineteen, so it might be helpful to have your Bibles open. So, Second Kings chapter five, verses one through nineteen. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given him given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you can cure him of his leprosy. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. And when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, 
Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. And the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down and he's leaning on my arm and I bow, that, I, I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And Elisha said, Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I start my sermon, I want to give credit to uh, Pastor Rob Bell and theologian Walter Brueggemann for uh, giving me a lot of ideas for today's sermon, and also the preaching team, uh, Chad and Noah and Hannah, they helped me giving feedback to this sermon, so I thank them for this as well. So let's do a quick overview of the text. So today's text starts with a grandiose description of this guy named Naaman. Now he's the commander of a powerful military. He's a fearless soldier who has won many wars. And the text describes him as a great man. And it's easy for us to glance over this part, but it's saying that Naaman was a man of significance. You know, if, if he were to walk into a room, everyone would feel it kind of significance. And this guy had everything going well for him, except for this one thing. He had leprosy. And even though his powerful country had a healthcare system like Canada and had access to the best healthcare professionals in the world, they couldn't find a cure for his disease. But then there's this slave girl from Israel who tells Naaman's wife that there is this prophet in Samaria who would be able to cure him. And desperate for a cure, the very next day, Naaman packs up a ton of money and he goes to Israel to meet this prophet Elisha. However, when Naaman arrives at his door, this prophet doesn't even come out of his house to greet him. And instead, this guy, this prophet, who doesn't even have medical credentials, gives him a pretty shady prescription. You know, Elisha sends a messenger and tells him to wash himself seven times in a dirty creek. And this gets to Naaman. It makes him furious. But if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. You know, we all know that friend or that friend of a friend or a neighbor. You know, when you have like a serious eye infection, they'll be like, you know, if you just put a couple slices of cucumber over your eyes, you'll be just fine. Or if you're like my grandma, if you have a pack of Icy Hot, you're all set. <laughs> if you have a bruise, just put some Icy Hot. If you have a headache, just put some Icy Hot and you'll be fine. 
So it makes sense. You know, Naaman was expecting to be healed in dramatic and spectacular ways. But he's offended by Naaman's unimpressive and quack doctor-like prescription to wash himself in the Jordan seven times. But as Naaman's about to turn back in anger, Naaman's servants persuade him. My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman goes down and dips himself in the river seven times, and he is healed. The text says that he became clean like that of a young boy. So at that moment, Naaman goes back to Elisha and gives this powerful confession. He says, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And this is a profound statement that deserves careful attention. You know, in that time and space, in that time and place, people had this understanding of localized deity or local gods. So Michigan had this god, Illinois had this god, and Indiana had that god. Each region had its, its own god that did the healing and the work in its place. So Naaman is from Aram, and the god of Aram couldn't heal him. So he goes over to Israel, and this god of Israel heals him. So Naaman enters into Israel with this understanding of localized deity, of, of local gods. But here in the text, Naaman converts not just to the God of Israel in the region of Israel, but he proclaims the God of Israel as the God of the whole world. He says, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now he's making a huge claim. He's saying that Israel's God is the only true God. Like, what a powerful confession from this pagan general, right? And in the next verse, in verse 17, Naaman makes this noble request to Elisha. Please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. Why does Naaman want to take dirt back to his country? Now I explained earlier that people in that day had understanding of localized deity, of local gods. So every different place had its own god. But now that Naaman believes in the God of Israel... To, like God of Israel as the only true God, he wants to take Israel's dirt back to his country so he can put it down on the ground to worship the God of Israel. But enough praise about Naaman. You know, right after this noble request, he makes another request that makes you cringe a little. Despite his powerful confession that there is no other God than the God of Israel, Naaman faces a dilemma. Verse 18. But may the Lord forgive his servant for this one thing. 
When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. You know, Naaman just got healed by the God of Israel and gave this powerful confession of faith. But now he has to go back home, back to his country, back to Aram, back to Rimon, the God of that land. And as Naaman is parting with Elisha, he is saying, you know, like one thing, one final thing before I go. You know, when I go back home, when I go back to work, things are going to get really complicated. I'm going to end up in this place where my boss goes into the temple of Rimon to worship, and when he, do- when he bows down, I'm going to have to bow down in the temple of Rimon. I'm, I'm going to have to bow down in the temple of my previous God. You know, I don't believe in Rimon anymore, but I'm going to have to keep bowing down to Rimon to keep my job and also to keep my life. Now let's pause here for a second. Is Naaman ashamed of his newborn faith? Has he compromised his faith already? Lastly, is this just Naaman's problem? Or is he dealing with the real day-to-day struggle that we also face as Christians living in this world? Now, I think many Christians can relate to this dilemma of Naaman. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Now, there are Christians, our brothers and sisters who live in Muslim-majority countries who have to struggle with this every single day. Now, if their family and if their community find out that they have converted to Christianity, they risk being abandoned by their family, they risk being an outcast in their community, and they even risk their life. And there are Muslim Christians who still practice the five pillars of Islam. You know, they still pray five times a day facing toward Mecca. But every time they pray, they pray to Jesus. And they wrestle like Naaman every day. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. You know, in Korea, where I was born, we have this cultural tradition of ancestor worship. On the anniversary of the death of your grandparents or your great-grandparents, your family members would gather and they would prepare food that they used to like, like green bean casserole and turkey. I mean, we don't eat this Korea, but you, you get my point. <laughs> and they will bow, like not just from waist up, but more like face to the ground kind of bow. It was a form of paying respect. And the Korean Christians wrestle with the tension of, am I participating in ancestor worship? Or is it okay for me to bow as a way of paying respect, as a way of remembering and honoring my grandparents or great-grandparents? They wrestle like Naaman. 
When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And I think Naaman's dilemma is closer to home than we think. How do we vote as Christians? How do we choose where to live or where to send our kids to school? How do we choose where to work? How do we choose where to buy our clothing, where to buy our food? About a year ago, I was in a shepherding elders meeting, and Dave, Dave Van Dyke shared with us about a situation at his workplace where he felt deeply conflicted. Now, he shared that his company was selling a machine that did not have the best parts. And Dave was feeling conflicted on the inside. Now, should I tell the buyer not to buy it? Or should we sell it after telling them all the problems about the machine? And if I do that, is it okay for me to mess up my relationship with my coworker who was just about to sell that machine? You know, should Dave just quit his job and find a new job with no moral and ethical flaws? Or do you hear Naaman's dilemma? You know, a few weeks ago, during our prayer request time, Joe Puplis, Joe shared with us, uh, Joe asked us to pray for him and his family in the decision-making process for his job. Joe received two different offers. One was a teaching position for teaching middle school kids, and the other, was, other offer was from his previous job at MLive. And Joe shared that the teaching opportunity was exciting and something that he always wanted to do, but also really draining and difficult. And he also shared that going back to his previous job would be easier for, easier for him and his family. You know, is, it, is it more Christian to take one job over the other? Or do you hear Naaman's dilemma? And I think sometimes following Jesus into your everyday life presents you with ambiguous and fuzzy situations where it's not crystal clear what the right next thing to do is. And I think sometimes we do people huge disservice when we hear people struggle, but just tell them, you know what? No matter what, you got to stand for Jesus. Just do what the Bible says. The Bible is pretty clear, black and white. I'm sure we all have heard a version of that in one way or the other. And it raises a certain sort of anxiety within them. You know, their heart is in the right. They want to do the right thing. They genuinely want to be salt and light in the world. But there are complicated ethical and logistical issues that makes it hard for them to follow Jesus in what they do. And in today's text, after hearing Naaman's dilemma of going back home, back to his job with his newborn faith, 
Elisha says to him, Naaman, go wash yourself in the Jordan seven more times. You've compromised your faith. Like, that's not what he says, right? But honestly, isn't that what we expect a prophet to say? No way, man. You got to turn away from Rimon. If you lose your job, you lose your job. That's just the cost of discipleship. You tell the king that now you follow the king, the God of Israel, not the God of Rimon. But that's not what he says, right? Elisha says, go in peace. Elisha sees Naaman's struggle. What it's going to be like for him to go back to his country, go back to his job. And Elisha has heard Naaman's confession about God. He even heard Naaman's noble request to take Israel's dirt back to his country so that he can worship him. But as a part of his job, as a person who serves under a king, he still has to bow down in the temple of Rimon. And instead of condemning him, Elisha acknowledges the difficulty and the ambiguity and complexity of Naaman's situation. And Elisha says, go in peace. Go in the assurance that God goes with you in your struggle. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the same word that God has for you today. Perhaps if you're not wrestling with the tension of living out your faith in your workplace, in your life, and the decisions that you make, maybe the word that God has for you is that you need to be concerned, that you need to pay attention to and ask, does my faith influence how I live? Or maybe you're like Naaman. No, your heart is there. You're struggling with what it means to live out your faith, to follow Jesus in your everyday life, in your workplace, in the decisions that you make. Maybe you're in business, and every day you struggle with the tension of how to maintain your integrity, your faith, when people around you are constantly bending corners and rules. You know, maybe you struggle with the relationship between ambition and contentment. How much of it, it is okay for me to strive towards my ambitions, towards my own success? And how much should I be content where I am? You know, maybe you are deeply aware of the hunger and the suffering and poverty in this world. And you struggle with if it's ever okay to buy nice stuff. Do we really need a new car? No, maybe sometimes you do need a new car. Maybe, maybe not a BMW or a sports car, maybe, but sometimes maybe you do need a new car. Sometimes you get sick and tired of spending a ton of time and energy and money on getting your car fixed. And having a new car makes your life better like for you and for your family. And then other times... Maybe you're like, no, like I can't do that. I've seen too much suffering and poverty. 
you know, let's take that money that we were going to spend on the car and let's give it away. And I dare say that sometimes neither decision is always the right one. Sometimes it's a bit fuzzy and ambiguous. And to all of this, to all of our confusion, moments of ambiguity and struggle, Elisha says, go in peace in the assurance that God goes with you in your struggle. Brothers and sisters, sometimes it's just not clear what the right thing to do is. And we are going to be okay with that today. No, we are going to have a fuzzy, ambiguous Sunday. You know, maybe sometimes things are very clear. You know and sense a clear leading that this is the right thing to do, no matter what the sacrifice and consequences are. But there are also other times where it's very difficult and not clear what the right thing to do is. And sometimes you find yourself blaming yourself and beating yourself over the head and thinking, you know, if I was more wise, wise, intelligent, and spiritual, things will be more clear. But maybe not. You know, maybe sometimes things are not clear, not because you don't have enough faith, but it's not clear because you do have faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is difficult to navigate living in this world as Christians. And when Elisha says, go in peace, he's saying, go ahead, go back to your real life, to your everyday life, with all of its struggle, tension, and dilemma. God goes with you. You know, sometimes... God is not always the one who solves the problem, who paves the way and makes things clear for you. Sometimes God is the one who sits with you in the ambiguity. God is the one who meets you in your struggle. You know, as we finish this year, today's the last day of 2017, maybe some of us have some regrets and guilt about the decisions that we have made this year. And as we welcome 2018, maybe some of us have anxiety and uncertainty about the decisions that we have to make. And God might be saying to you, you know, stop beating yourself up for the ambiguity. Sometimes that's just how the world is. And whatever they are, in all of your dilemma, in all of your tension, in all the places of your ambiguity, as you wrestle how your faith plays out in your everyday life, God goes with you in your struggle. Go in peace. Will you pray with me?